My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. You may be sitting there thinking this morning, that was an awful lot of scripture we heard, and you are absolutely right, because today is not only just Palm Sunday, but it is also Passion Sunday. Through liturgical reasons, right? Uh, Throughout the Christian year, originally there were two services. There was Palm Sunday and Passion Sunday, and the two were brought together, and that's why we have both. And there's actually a specific reason why on Palm and Passion Sunday, we hear from the gospel the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, and then we also hear the entirety of the Passion narrative. We have both of those together, read together. One's a triumph, the other one looks like a defeat. And we're going to talk about that briefly this morning, and the sermon title is Two Triumphs. So in the past, I've preached at length about how Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem is almost an inversion of what was called a triumph that the Roman emperors would put on. I've detailed greatly what that was like, the level of glamour, military might, the sheer power, and the sheer hubris put on display to honor conquering kings. So much so the conquered peoples were led along in the procession and then later on executed. The point being to say, look how mighty we are. Look at our strength. This is what happened to all who oppose us. But Jesus enters into the city as the conquering king in a different way. There's no garish displays of wealth. There are no chariots being driven before him or behind him. There's no soldiers in formation, just his 12 disciples and the people who would follow him from Galilee. There are no prisoners following in his wake. Rather, there's palm branches and clothes and a donkey. In a way, his entrance into Jerusalem is wrapped in humility in the same way as his incarnation. The king of Israel and of the world is born in a stable, in a cave, in the countryside of Bethlehem, witnessed to by only a few people, the Blessed Virgin, St. Joseph and the shepherds. And his entrance into Jerusalem is the same. The only thing to greet him isn't the leaders of the city to do homage. The scribes and the Pharisees and the priests, they don't come out to do him homage. Only the people who live there aching for freedom. But the freedom he will bring is not freedom from Roman oppression, but freedom from something altogether different. An oppression that's not just localized in in one empire, but an oppression that's localized by a completely different type of empire. As he enters, they shout, Hosanna, which means save, we pray. Save us, we pray. And that expression, Hosanna, save us, we pray, On our lips just a few moments ago is our prayer offered to God too. Because Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is a triumph. Because it's an announcement to sin and death and to Satan and the kingdoms of this world that their time is almost up. That God has kept his promises. That God, Yahweh the warrior, has come to do battle and to vanquish his true enemies. As Psalm 68, 1 through 4 says, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, 
so the wicked shall perish before God, but the righteous shall be glad. They shall exalt before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. And that is what's happening as Jesus enters into the city. They are exalting before him. Let's talk a little bit about the triumph of the cross. So what's interesting to me, brothers and sisters, about the narrative we heard detailing Jesus' crucifixion according to the Gospel of St. Matthew is on the surface, it doesn't seem like a triumph. The reading ends with the soldiers going to guard his tomb saying, hey, by the way, remember he said he was going to rise from death, so let's go there and make sure his disciples can't steal his body away. So they run around then lying to people, telling them that he did rise from the dead. That's where the, the, the reading this morning ends. Right, so on the surface, it seems like the forces of evil have triumphed. It looks like Satan has triumphed. It looks like sin and death have had the final word. It looks like Jesus has finally lost the continual game of riling up the religious leaders and then walking away to only do the same thing again elsewhere. And think about it. When we heard the story, Jesus is arrested while he's at prayer with his disciples. He's then brought before the council of religious leaders and he's tried and unjustly found guilty. They had to lie to pronounce him guilty. And then he's brought before the Roman governor. And then the Roman governor gives the people a choice between the rabbi they welcome with shouts of Hosanna and a murderer named Barabbas. And then he hands them over, Jesus over to be crucified. And then he's put on the cross and he's hastily buried in a tomb without any of the funeral preparations being done for him. This does not look like a triumph, brothers and sisters. This looks like a defeat. It looks like a defeat of the deepest kind. This is like watching a Super Bowl where like the Giants are up like 35 and Dallas is at zero. Which would never happen. But it's like that. It's a level of the deepest kind. It doesn't look like a triumph. But the story doesn't end there. Because what God had planned to redeem his fallen creation was so audacious, so scandalous that it continues to defy belief. As St. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.8, none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. And this, brothers and sisters, tells us why the cross, even though it looks like a defeat, is actually Christ's triumph. The triumph of of his entry into Jerusalem and we have the triumph of the cross where he triumphs where he conquers through his death sin death and Satan Jesus dying on the cross is his act of liberating all humanity from our ancient enemies Jesus' triumph on the cross is his undoing of all of the things that hold us in despair and in darkness. The cross is the way that joy has come into the world. The cross is Christ's triumph. One of my favorite church fathers, St. Athanasius, in one of his most important works called On the Incarnation, reflecting on this, he wrote this. And this will be my conclusion this morning. He accepted and bore upon the cross a death inflicted by others and those other his special enemies, a death which to them was supremely terrible and by no means to be faced. 
And he did this in order that by destroying even this death, he might himself be believed to be the life and the power of death be recognized as finally annulled. A marvelous and mighty paradox has thus occurred. For the death which they thought to inflict on him as dishonor and disgrace has become the glorious monument to death's defeat. Hear that, brothers and sisters. The cross, which looks like a defeat, is actually a monument that we raise to show the world that death has been defeated, that sin has been defeated, that Satan has been defeated, and that salvation has come to all through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom is due all glory, together with his Father from everlasting, and his all-holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen.